Hello and welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name's Stephen Walsh. Coming up, we'll be talking to Katrina Chapman all about her work for Avery Hill, including her debut book, Follow Me In, and her most recent release, Breakwater. But first, here's some other comics podcasts you may enjoy. Oh, we've had an email asking if we wanted to do an advert for the Avery Hill podcast. Oh, that's nice of them. Does that mean we can't swear? Yeah, pretty much. So, no words like or sh- and definitely no Oh, I gave real comics. Yeah, they're nice. Uh, we're the Awesome Comics Pod. You can find us at awesomecomics.podbean.com or on iTunes and as the Awesome Comics Podcast and buy a copy of our Awesome Comics Anthology at www.awesomecomicpod.bigcartel.com Oh, that was very professional, wasn't it? I knew that girl, right? Oh, Jesus. In the monthly radio show on comics, Panel Borders, you can hear Alan Moore. You see this gradual rehabilitation of Godzilla. Sandy Toxvig. There's something about the cartoon world that, honestly, in these grim times, is rather preferable to flesh and blood sometimes. Chris Riddell. I have a draw in my studio. Um, It's the naughty draw. And many more writers and artists talking about their craft. More info at www.panelborders.wordpress.com. Need a podcast all about comics topics, reviews, and just general chit chat? Then join David Robertson, Fernando Pons, Mike Sadakat, Giuseppe Lambertino, and me, Tom Stewart, at That Comic Smell. You can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes, and on Twitter and Instagram at That Comic Smell. Pull up a chair and join us. And now let's talk to Katrina. Hello, Kat. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Steve. I probably got to know your work from working at Gosh and you uh, submitting your own book for the small press section. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think maybe Tiny Pencil, that was the first time that I met you, I think, maybe. I don't know, very early on, yeah, I, I remember bringing that in and coming in. Yeah, with it could have been Tiny Pencil, actually, and then you bringing in Katzine later on. <laughs> yeah, Katzine certainly what I think of as like your your signature work that I got to know you through. And that was really interesting because it really stood out amongst the small press stuff, just in terms of like the, the content, the theme of it. It was a lot of autobiographical and travel stuff, which you'd sort of get in other bits and pieces, but this felt much more sort of substantial and, and, and comprehensive. It's like an anthology, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. I guess initially with that, with Catzine, I was inspired by Katie Green's scene that she'd been doing for a couple of years, um, which was similar in that it was kind of, it had regular features um, and also, you know, special features that were kind of one-offs. Um, but there was lots of repeated kind of regular things that would pop up in each issue. And I kind of thought that was a really fun idea. So like, just like a magazine, really. So I kind of uh, stole her idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's a smart format because it kind of means you can do anything. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, definitely. And having a zine that's just kind of named after your name, which is what I decided to do (laughs) in the end, um, meant that it would would just be anything that's kind of interesting to me um, that particular month or whatever. So... 
yeah, I felt it was, um, it gave me lots of freedom. And my main reason for doing it was I hadn't really written many comics at all and I wanted to practice. And I knew if I had something, you know, an actual thing to put them into that it would uh, make me do it. So <laughs> I had a kind of set schedule and I was publishing them on a schedule. So it made me kind of do, do the work. And also because it was my own thing, I could kind of experiment with the style and just try different things. And it wasn't like I, I had to, produce work to fit with something else yeah because you you'd worked in children's book illustration before that and obviously that's very specific briefs and you're working to very particular ideas definitely and I always struggled with that <laughs> um, <laughs> I just yeah and and people kind of really specifying exactly I had even sometimes art directors would kind of sketch out what they wanted the illustration to look like <laughs> And I would just draw that or, or they would make changes that I didn't really like. Like they would be like, everyone needs to be more smiley in this illustration. And I'd have to give everyone huge smiles. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I was trying to do this kind of subtle thing. And now it's really cheesy. But, that you know, you don't have any choice when you're working for clients, really. Yeah, I suppose that's the thing, as I say, with, with Catzine, you sort of created that sort of commitment for yourself where you have to do it on a regular thing but then at the same time gave yourself complete editorial freedom as you say it's it's catzine it's your name on it so it's exactly what you want it to be each time and i yeah i never know whether i'll i'll make any more of them um it was really really fun to do but i guess it's it's kind of also good to move on and and do other things um I've definitely moved on to longer stories <laughs> since then it was a bit limiting it was only 24 pages um and I did one issue which the whole 24 pages was one story or one just kind of diary comic but I definitely after trying to squeeze comics into sort of four or six pages I wanted to move on to some sort of longer things one of the other nice things about it was the sort of the quality of the finish and the pr production design. It was uh, really sort of beautifully put together and, and printed. Was that, you know, obviously it was your decision. How deliberate was that choice at the start to sort of make it as, as nice as possible? Um, yeah, that was very deliberate. I'd, I'd always done that because I'd done a few. I'd done maybe uh, three, I think, three little self-published books before Catzine that were kind of more illustrated books or kind of art books and they had always been characterized by nice paper and kind of uh, print quality and stuff like my first one had kind of like tracing paper kind of inserts over some of the pages so that you you kind of some pages were kind of misty looking and then um, it also came with this kind of nice band around it so I was definitely always interested in making nice objects as well and then as you say you sort of later projects then develop into something larger and more involved but still you know looking at follow me in your first sort of large book feature debut there, there's sort of things you can trace almost back to catzine with the themes of sort of autobiography and, and and travel intertwining in that book and part of wanting to do that book was was also wanting just to write about um, Mexico itself and um, do some kind of non-fiction-y bits as well. Um, so yeah, that was the kind of thing I would sometimes do in Catzine was just these kind of factual pages about a particular topic. And I definitely brought that into um, Follow Me In as well. Yeah, I was just trying to work out if you were, if you had tried to sort of serialise Follow Me In in Catzine, how many issues would it have been? <laughs> <laughs> oh god I don't do maths but it would have been a lot of issues yeah 
<laughs> and obviously follow me in also published by Avery Hill who uh, we both work for as well so we're both very much immersed in that company yep <laughs> how did you first become aware of Avery Hill I think I was trying to remember this actually I think it was through being a fan of Simon Morton's work um, and when they put out the collection of his work Days which was one of their earlier books um, I ordered that and I, I remember noticing it because they were giving away kind of like hand-drawn um, kind of inserts with each book it came with a little hand drawing for the first 100 orders or something and I was like oh being a fan of Simon I really want to get one of these because it seemed kind of special so I jumped on that and then I think Ricky and I got in touch a little bit just about general stuff and I was kind of working on the the kind of concept of follow me in and he offered to kind of look at it look it over and look at my pitch which I was planning on pitching to other publishers and stuff so at first he was just sort of helping me out and we were and just kind of talking and he looked over my ideas and stuff which was really lovely and Ricky's so brilliant um he was kind of saying you know I, I'll, I'll take a look at it I'll even edit it for you it doesn't matter who you end up publishing it with <laughs> I'm just happy to help out so I thought that was really lovely and then that yeah actually working with them came a bit later so I was already started kind of working on the book um, and then his his editorial comments about my um, book proposal was so good that I thought you know very quickly I thought I'd rather just work with him than anyone else really <laughs> he had so many amazing kind of suggestions that I hadn't really thought of I do think he's a brilliant editor <laughs> so that yeah that just worked out really well and then slightly bizarrely I ended up getting a job working with Avery Hill too <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's only weird occasionally when I have to do marketing for my own book and contact people going here's a book that I think you'll really like <laughs> and it's my name on it <laughs> but people seem to be quite understanding <laughs> well I know you mean it like you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think Ricky is someone, he's not like, it's hard to sort of think of him as a sort of face on the scene, but he's someone who does, it feels like makes a point of knowing what's going on and will sort of get involved with things, even if it isn't necessarily something that he's directly going to be working on and, you know, profit from or whatever, but like, will just like, likes mm. to sort of read comics and talk about comics and get involved with comics. Yeah, definitely. He's really passionate about it. And I mean, I mean, there's been sort of chatter recently about publishers kind of business practices, not always being kind of uh, optimum. <laughs> and, this is a hell of a time to um, go in on Ricky. I mean, this is like, you know, um, wait, I'm not. <laughs> Let me finish. Um, no, yeah, but um, that was something that jumped out right away was that I could tell that he was not in it for any reason other than just the love of doing it. And he would even he was even saying to me early on, like um, he said, I I'd, I think I'd be interested in publishing it, but also I why don't I contact these people I know at other publishers and I'll recommend it, and you send it to them and I'll say that that it's good. And I was like, this is brilliant. When you hear that, when you hear that certain other publishers are, are very kind of um, territorial about their creators and stuff, I was like, oh, this this is a really nice vibe. And um, so yeah, I was really happy to um, end up working with him. Yeah, I think Ricky's philosophy. And, you know, Dave as well, and the whole real thing is very much like, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Like, if, yeah. if the comic scene is healthy, 
then comics publishers are going to be healthy and comics creators are going to be healthy and the comics yeah. public is going to be healthy and that may you know it's all just sort of like it's a virtuous circle hope is you know the ideal situation so you kind of yeah. go in ricky's main thing is he wants good comics to be out there yeah absolutely yeah and it just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that you you know you work with a creator and you um treat them badly so that they never want to work with you again it just seems like a very short-sighted way to do things or even sort of talking down other publishers and other you know i mean it's just like it's a weird thing isn't it to sort of hack away particularly i think in sort of cultural spaces and artistic endeavors like by its very nature it's not it's not supposed to be this rugged thing that stands up to you know people hammering away you know a lot of these things are very sort of delicate ecosystems so you know it's about nurturing as much as it is about anything else so you know keeping things um, as healthy as possible for as many people as possible only makes everything better for everyone surely is the idea but then you know the problem is you get people who don't want everything to be better for everyone they want it to be better for them <laughs> and to hell with yeah. them <laughs> <laughs> but compared to some other fields comics is a really kind of mutually supportive um field i think uh, it's always nice people are really um up for collaborating and cooperating and sharing information and stuff which is really good yeah, absolutely. As, as I say, like, you know, I very much think of uh, Ricky as someone out there on the scene, sort of working at shows and going to events and visiting shops and talking to creators and, and, and people. And, you know, I, I do think the sort of UK scene is particularly good for that. You do get shops that will, you know, work to help each other rather than work to do each other down. You get creators that will look out for work for one another rather than trying to sort of you know hide opportunities from people i do think it's a very positive space a lot of the time and follow me in like one of the things i would say about the avery hill list is that it's so sort of diverse and disparate and like you know it's such an odd range of books to sort of think about but and i said this to ricky years ago long before i was working for avery hill where i'd be like buying in the books for gosh and putting them on the shelf and i'd be like these all sit together really well there's something about them where they're not you know thematically similar or visually similar but there's something about them where they don't seem odd uh sat together and i think follow me is a, a good example of that where it's a really good avery hill book in terms of you can absolutely see it fitting in with the the sort of ethos of avery hill without necessarily pinning down exactly what that is yeah <laughs> i think it's impossible to pin down exactly what that is i sometimes wonder <laughs> about it but yeah they do all sort of hang together as a as a larger body of work really really nicely i think um while being so different as you say it's quite an achievement i think to have such a diverse list but they all seem to have something in common and i mean talking of achievements you know follow me in in terms of sort of scaling up from uh, Catzine is you know, remarkable in terms of the sort of the length and the quality and the, the ambition of it as they intertwining that very personal autobiographical story with this travelogue and these beautiful sort of illustrations of Mexico. Oh thank you yeah I did I did try to do quite a lot <laughs> in that book um, 
but I just I felt like each element would kind of uh, help the other in a way so that they were all worth including I think travelogues are really interesting but it can help if there's some kind of ongoing thread of a story as well did it feel intimidating going going into it sort of knowing the, the the scale of the story or did it sort of help that it was the first sort of thing you'd done on on this sort of side so you kind of didn't know exactly what you were letting yourself in for yeah I guess I didn't really know um <laughs> I had done eight issues of my zine and I had got so much faster over those eight issues that I kind of felt like I had some kind of realistic idea of of the you know my speed and how long it would take and stuff yeah it, it's quite a big book um, <laughs> and I, I kind of thought that Breakwater my second book might be um way more manageable but I, it just took just as long for some reason even though it wasn't in color I guess I did a lot of shading and stuff and lighting but yeah it was I really struggled to get that one in on time <laughs> so I guess however much you think you know how long things are going to take they don't always <laughs> <laughs> yeah as you say Breakwater your new book from Avery Hill different in its original fiction how deliberate was that as a, a sort of follow-up project to, to sort of move into that area yeah it was deliberate in that I always wanted to try writing something that was fiction that was long longer than a couple of pages um uh and it's definitely not it's way out of my comfort zone I find the autobio stuff really kind of easy um really it comes really naturally to me to just think of something that happened to me <laughs> and then <laughs> use that as the basis of something but I I had had this idea of these characters in my head for a little while and I had struggled to figure out what on earth the story would be and how it would end for ages so I was really happy after I think actually after I finished following me in, I thought, okay, it's time to get back to that other idea and see if I can make something happen. And when I sat down to work on the writing of it, it actually came together quite well. So I feel like somehow I learned something <laughs> from doing follow me in. <laughs> it just seemed to, whereas before I had sat down going, how do you, how do you write a book? It just seemed to kind of come a little more easily, having had that experience of doing a long book already. Yeah, I do think for, you know, a, a debut feature length work of fiction, uh, one of the things that struck me was the sort of pacing and the, the structure of it was was really strong, really held to, together well. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I think Ricky's, Ricky's editing was helpful as well. He did cut a fair bit from my first sort of script that I wrote, which I, I really wanted because I'm not I'm not a brilliant editor of my own of my own work so I need someone to kind of look at it and tell me what what can be got rid of so yeah he really helped with the he did one kind of first edit where he cut some stuff out and made some suggestions and after that I just sort of took took off with it and it all came together quite well but yeah I I, I was aware it would be kind of a slow burning book um certainly for the first half of the book um but I kind of, because I wanted to, it to be about a friendship developing, I felt like that needed to kind of unfold at its own pace um, to be kind of believable. So it allowed me to just do some atmospheric stuff and some little funny moments with different characters and things. And then I guess all the, most of the plot happens towards the end, really. Yeah, I think, as you say, the first section is very much sort of character studies almost, isn't it? It's like you, you, we're, we're sort of, as, as uh, one of the characters is being introduced to this new space and these new people, obviously, with the audience are as well. 
and you do everyone sort of gets a little moment don't they to sort of uh tell a little something about themselves and how they relate to each other in this this place they're in and the place itself it's a sort of an old cinema in the sense of would have been one of the, the sort of earliest cinemas still uh, standing in the UK, I'd imagine, sort of in terms of the, the timeline, um, but still operational. So sort of, yeah, uh, it, it's, you know, it's still operating now, but it has these sort of beautiful features and spaces, a lot of which are sort of abandoned and dilapidated. So it's got that great sort of, it's almost like yeah. the building itself is another character. Isn't it? Yeah. I thought, when I was first thinking of this story, I did think that that building would make a brilliant setting just because it was so unusual and kind of, kind of, yeah, the Brighton seaside is quite kind of atmospheric in itself, but to have that plonked right on the seafront as well. Um, I actually haven't been back to Brighton in probably over a decade and I, I do wonder what's left of the building. I don't know if it's still there. It certainly um, stopped being a cinema at one point. I think it turned into a casino and a bar and stuff. So <laughs> I don't know what, what it is now. Yeah, it was, a, it was a cool building to kind of use as the setting, definitely. One thing Ricky and I talked about was capturing the nature of that type of job, which is kind of a slacker job um, where there's not a lot to do in terms of your tasks for the day, for the time that you're there. So there's a lot of time for the, the kind of colleagues to get to know each other. And these kind of really close friendships can, can kind of develop. Um, it can be a bit of a family kind of feeling in places like that. Yeah. Cause as you say, it will be the sort of thing where you'd imagine in certain areas there'd be sort of big turnover of sort of kids doing part-time work and a bit of money here before they, uh, move away yeah, or go off to university sure. um, or whatever. Yes, and and because it's not, you don't make a lot of money working <laughs> as a cinema <laughs> rusher. Uh, yeah, not a lot of people can can uh, sustain it for very long. Kind of bits that I brought in because I w- I was working as an usher at the National Theatre in London for nearly twenty years, um, and I lost that job due to COVID, which was really sad. But I definitely brought in some of that that feeling of kind of. Yeah, there may be a high turnover among some of the staff, but there may also be staff that have been there together for, you know, decades. Um, so it's, kind of, yeah, kind of interesting, those kind of jobs where often there's a lot of kind of artistic people together in those kind of jobs too. At the, at the uh, National, there were definitely a lot of people that were not even just actors and people interested in theatre, but every kind of art form and also other professions. Like some of my colleagues there were lawyers and they had all kinds of other (laughs) things going on. So definitely interesting places to meet people, places like that. Yeah, I worked at Waterstones Piccadilly and you would literally work with poets, ballet dancers, opera singers. I'm surprised that you didn't go back to Brighton you know just to sort of wherever it is now you probably wouldn't get inside or get access to those those spaces but it came so sort of vivid in the book did you were you working from photographs you taken at the time or was it purely a sort of exercise in in memory it was memory Um, I don't have any photos um, from that job I was I was 18 I think when I worked there for a, a year and yeah I I did some googling I found lots of old vintage photos of the building from when the cinema was a little bit more um, in its heyday so that helped me with the outside (laughs) and I just had to construct the inside from memory one of my old colleagues actually 
reached out to me on Facebook going, oh, you got the, uh, the numbers wrong on the auditoriums. It didn't go one, two, three. It went three, two, three, one or something. I was like, my God. You're like ringing Ricky, Pulpum, Pulpum. We need to. <laughs> so have that kind of memory to, to remember those details. I remembered the vague layout of the foyers, but I kind of took other, like I took kind of the box office as kind of a cool art deco design um, that was just made up from other cinema architecture I looked at. So I just cobbled together bits and pieces from memory and from just looking at buildings online. And for your own sort of purposes in terms of, I guess, kind of blocking the action or, you know, trying to sort of develop the idea of movement around the space, did you draw out any sort of floor plan or or sketch out a sort of an idea of the the space of the cinema to work with or was it just purely scene by scene, room by room? I didn't, I didn't do that. I think I had, I mean, I have a, a good mental image of what the actual floor plan of that place was like so I think that was just in my head I do think that's something I should do going forward more often for because even like the characters apartments like flats that they live in (laughs) I struggled (laughs) a bit more with the the layout of those just because yeah I didn't have anything so specific in mind but yeah it was all it was all from my memory of being standing in that building for hours I had the kind of layout (laughs) in my head which made it easier I think. I think one of the nice things about the book as well is the fact that you've got a sort of supporting cast of I think it's fair to say sort of drastically different ages but they all just like it's that thing isn't it of like the workspace and the job brings a sort of commonality to it where you know, essentially at some point, everyone just wants a cup of tea, don't they? Yep, <laughs> for sure. And I, I definitely, I liked the idea of doing something about the main characters are kind of maybe approaching middle age a little bit, which is kind of what, what I am. <laughs> and I definitely like that idea because there's an awful lot of comics that, that deal with kind of, you know, people's teenage years and people's 20s and stuff. Um, and I really like the idea of doing something that was a little bit, focused on older characters so there is just one young character everyone else is is sort of 40 plus maybe Dan's slightly younger but yeah and and that's been borne out in the job the various jobs I've had over the years there's there's often been quite a range of ages from people like 19 up to kind of 60 something (laughs) so I've always enjoyed that like getting to know people that are really different um, and have different life experiences and stuff and I've taken bits and pieces from different people I've met through different jobs and put them all into these characters. Like just the detail of the young boy, Craig, who kind of gets on everyone's nerves in the, in the cinema. <laughs> the idea that his mum wants him to pack him off to join the army, that came from working with actually a woman who was saying that she wanted to do that with her son. <laughs> um, and that was from a cafe I worked in in Waterloo. So it was just kind of, I took bits and pieces of kind of characters and situations from all sorts and put them together into these into this one story. Yeah, I think Craig is my favourite character just because having <laughs> a lot of very similar jobs to you, I've, I've very much recognised that person. And it <laughs> is, you know, that thing where you're maybe sort of 30 and you're working with this kid who's like 17, 18, and they're a bit of a pest, a bit of an Egypt, but there's no, there's no malice to them. They're just like kids. They're just yeah. young. They're just sort of yeah. learning 
the sort of shape of the world. And it's really interesting, particularly if you work with them for a couple of years and you get to see them grow into themselves a little bit. It's yeah. very sort of satisfying, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And likewise, you you might have, like, I've got a kind of grumpy old man character as well. And a lot of jobs have one of those <laughs> where you kind of just have to accept that that's the way that he is. And, you know, yeah. I don't know. Everyone has their quirks, I guess. But no, I really enjoyed the fact that the, as, as you say, the sort of the, the, the central characters are older than you tend to find as the sort of like protagonists of of a sort of, uh, a, a story like this you've got the older and younger characters around them to sort of bounce off them and them to bounce off them um but also i do think you know without giving anything away about the story i do think the actual shape of the story and, and sort of how things develop and pan out very much speaks to them being older more mature characters rather than it being something you know very sort of you know the the sort of ambition and urgency of youth can sometimes lead to different sort of narrative paths can't they but and it, it's very rare i think that you see sort of something a bit more measured and meditative as a way to sort of resolve a story yeah yeah definitely yeah i really wanted to do something that was um about people of that age who, as you say, may have, they're in a slightly different phase of life. And I definitely like the idea of the kind of drifting through life, the main characters kind of drifting a bit. And then something, you know, things happen to sort of maybe shake her out of that a little bit. Because a lot of, actually quite a few bits of inspiration came from um, a really good friend of mine that I met through the theatre job who had worked a really kind of high sort of high stress job and he was kind of in his 50s when he started at the National um, Theatre and he had just decided like that he'd had enough and he wanted an easy job and he wanted to just kind of you know read the paper and nap and enjoy himself (laughs) and chat to people. Um, He had been a journalist and you know working on Fleet Street and he worked for various newspapers and that had been a crazy kind of few decades and I and a lot of us just really admired the fact that he had given that up and just gone you know what <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do this job where I can sit around and do a crossword you know for hours so yeah people's priorities change at different phases of their lives and things yeah I think there's a lot to be said for a job where you sort of finish your shift and you go home and you do, literally do not have to think about that job until you go back to work the next day yeah and clock in. Like, yeah there's nothing to sort of uh, did I do this? It doesn't matter. Nothing. It's yeah. not, honestly, it's all fine. <laughs> One of the characters says that specifically, yeah, because I I grew up with um, my parents were teachers, and you know, as a teacher, you do so much work at home, <laughs> and during holidays, you know, you've got a month off for the summer or whatever. But my my dad, who was a teacher, would just be working constantly, you know, lesson planning and marking stuff, and <laughs> and so yeah, that's probably something that I unconsciously decided to try and avoid. <laughs> I mean, the worst thing that could happen with the ushering job maybe would be like you, you accidentally send someone in the wrong direction and then you think, oh, damn, you know, I'm really annoyed. <laughs> and then you think, well, it's not really a huge, a huge deal. Just to talk a bit about the visual aspect of the book, because one of the things I love uh, about your work is your use of, of colour. I think it's tremendous. And I think Follow Me In was a, a wonderful sort of showcase of that, obviously, with the sort of, the, the natural world of, of Mexico laid, laid out before us. But um, 
similar to something I said to um, Owen when talking about Victory Point, and I, I think it's sort of key that both of them are sort of coastal stories, uh, essentially. But the way that light is presented in the book, I mm-hmm. thought was absolutely uh, stunning and really sort of sold the tone of the story, but also just made it so sort of compelling and, you know, rewarding to look at. Oh, thank you. I definitely had this idea that it would be, um, it would kind of have a slightly noirish kind of look to it, which is funny because, um, you know, it's not the most sort of action-packed story, <laughs> but I definitely thought it would it would add some a certain atmosphere. And yeah, I do. I think that's really interesting that you mentioned Victory Point. There's been there's a few little kind of fun overlaps. I think accidental overlaps with some of the books that have come out from Avery Hill this year with. Owen and I doing kind of very different coastal town settings (laughs) that couldn't kind of couldn't be more different from each other but also just funny little things like Zoe Thurgood's book um, uh, The Impending Blindness of Billy Scott is about a really kind of reclusive uh, main character at the start who needs to be kind of brought out of herself and that's kind of similar to my story too and also some of the reviews have kind of commented on the fact that Actually, I think you mentioned this in your interview with Owen, that with the pandemic happening this year, a lot of the kind of elements of some of our stories have just had this strange kind of resonance that was unexpected. Lots of people talked about because I have really empty streets and really empty buildings, mm-hmm. lots of shots of buildings kind of um, with nothing happening in them. And people have said that that kind of gives it a weird kind of 2020 um, <laughs> relevance. And then uh, Patrick Ray's book, The Flood That Did Come, was kind of this apocalyptic kind of story as well. So it's quite weird. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Like just how projects that have been percolating for years at a time and just happened to, you know, come yeah. out this year, suddenly get reframed and repurposed and recontextualized and have this extra sort of uh, poignancy to them. It's, yeah, it's been, it's a really interesting time to read these books, I think, as, as you say. Yeah, um, and I think the fact that I did all these empty spaces, I do remember saying to Ricky at one point, I've got this idea for these kind of big splash pages, full page illustrations where you just kind of see the building and things and some of the streets of Brighton. Um, And I definitely had the idea that I didn't want, I wanted a lot of them to be empty. I think that came out of hearing your chat with Claire Scully about Desolation Wilderness where it's all kind of like landscapes where in a lot of them there's a trace of human presence but that you never see people and I kind of had that I was quite inspired by the way she does that with this book with my full page illustrations I was like I think that would be really interesting if you kind of have the the town setting and also the building itself and because it's quite the characters are quite insular and it's quite an insular workplace I think it works that you don't really see a lot of other people in the in the city you just see occasionally some people at a distance (laughs) so yeah definitely I've I'm kind of inspired often by um other Avery Hill books and things I find little (laughs) elements find their way into what I'm doing (laughs) and I think as well uh the sort of the visual style of it with sort of light playing such a key role in the, the composition the presentation of the images how deliberate was that in terms of the fact that obviously the the, the setting is a cinema was it a, a, a sort of a sort of a attempt to sort of 
echo that idea and pay, pay tribute to the, the, the idea of, of cinema a little bit. Yeah, I think definitely because you spend a lot of time in the dark when you work in, in <laughs> cinemas and theatres with, with light coming, you know, just from um, the screen or the stage or whatever it is. And you do get very used to seeing a lot of shadows and everything kind of lit in a quite a dramatic way. And I did, I guess I thought without colour, you need something to kind of make these um, visuals interesting. So definitely I wanted to do lots with shadows and kind of light. And there's something quite, quite specific about the light flickering from the back of a, you know, from a projection room in a cinema, that's quite cool. <laughs> so definitely that cinema idea came into the lighting, I think. And as I say, particularly those sort of splash pages, like the way that light plays in coastal settings is so uh, particular, isn't it? Yeah. And I think there was one review that said that it's kind of like you could you could feel the dust floating around in the, <laughs> in the foyer and stuff, which I thought was really lovely because that was definitely this vibe of of everything being a bit kind of um, still and, and not a lot happening. And um, definitely that relates to the kind of main character as well and her where she's at in her life. Well, it's a remarkable book. Congratulations again on putting it together. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and thanks for talking to us. I'm sure we'll talk again with the next project or uh, hopefully at some point another Avery Hill round robin discussion. Yeah. Look forward to seeing what next year brings. Thanks to Katrina for talking to us and thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programmes you may enjoy.